Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. The Bible, uh, if you are, if you actually have your Bible, I saw a couple people write, walk in with their Bible, go ahead and open it now and try to find Jonah. It's going to take you five minutes. It's stuck between like Obadiah, Nahum, Malachi, all those. Anyway, good luck out there, but it'll be on the screens if uh, if not. And if you have a digital version, it's just super easy. You can just type J and it pops up. So uh, we're in the book of Jonah, and this is one of the most artistic books of the Old Testament. It is beautifully written, wonderfully written. Um, and we, we don't care. Like if you think it's real and literal, great. If you think it's allegory, great. That is not the point. The point that Jonah was trying to make was absolutely brilliant. He takes you on a full journey through really four chapters. And in the first chapter, the story is set like this. That God calls a guy named Jonah to go preach to a group of people and he flat out says no. And not only does he say no, because sometimes you say no to God, but then you're just kind of quiet about it, right? You just kind of say no to God and keep about your business. Jonah says no to God and runs 2,500 miles in the opposite direction to the farthest part of the known world. That's how big of a no that he said. And this is, this is the point of chapter one is that we're all runners. We all have areas of our life where we run from God. Maybe our whole life, we look back at our whole life maybe and you're like, yeah, when I was 20, I was tired of mom and dad's church and I knew better and I went to go do my own thing or whatever. Or some of you are Christ followers, but you're specific runners. You have this, that little one area where like, look, God, I'd like, uh, salvation, but I want to do money my way. Or I like, I like your grace and forgiveness, but bless God, don't tell me how to date. You know, we got, we got little, little specific areas that we're running, but we're all runners. But what Jonah shows us is, is this incredible point is, is that even if you do run, which we all do, you can't actually outrun the grace of God. That God is still there. That's why David said, look, man, it's like if I made my bed in hell, you'd still be chasing after me. Like that's your, your presence is everywhere. And so there's this idea that you just can't outrun the grace of God. He is constantly going to be knocking on the door of your heart. And that's a good thing. And so through a number of different circumstances, God is trying to pull Jonah back, not to punish him and pay him back, just to bring him back. And so there's the fun part of the story where he gets eaten by a fish, right? And he's in the belly of a fish. He has seaweed hairdos. It literally says that. It says he has seaweed hair. Like, that's how jacked up he is. And and what you find is this, is that by the end of chapter 2, God spits him back out on dry land and says, hey, can we do this again? Which ultimately shows us that God is a God of second chances. And we all said... Amen. And thank you, Lord, because we all need second chances and most of us need third and fourth and fifth chances. And God is, is constantly doing that with us. And so the Bible says that, that of course, that at the end of praying a prayer in the belly of a fish and being spit back out and actually saying, okay, God, I'm with you now. You've broken my will. I've got seaweed hair and probably bleached skin and all this stuff. And I'll finally, I'll go, I'll, I'll go and obey. This is what takes place in chapter three. This is where the story begins to pick up, but it's not, you would think it's going to end here in climax, but it doesn't watch. This is brilliant. Jonah chapter three says this. It says that Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria is uh, basically the arch enemy of the Israelite people. They hate them. These people are nasty, mean, wicked, terrible, no good, dirty, rotten scoundrels, right? That's who the Ninevites are. That's just the capital city. But Nineveh was a very large city. It actually took Jonah three days to get through it. And Jonah began or Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and he started proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So he's got, it almost sounds like one of those downtown preachers with a sandwich board walking around like repent or die, you know, that turn or burn. And I bet it wasn't very enthusiastic because can you imagine him trying to preach to a bunch of people he hates? Repent. 
if you want, you know, repent, but I don't really care. And so he's telling him to repent 40 more days and, and Nineveh will be overthrown. This is radical. Are you ready? They believed him. The Ninevites believed God to the point that they, they proclaimed a fast. All of them from the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth. This was an ancient way of like repentance. Literally, you'd go out and put yourself in like a burlap sack and just sit and pray and repent. It was like, it was a way of saying, I'm going to irritate my skin and body and sit in misery to let you know how repentant I am. It's kind of weird to us, but that's what, that, that's what they did. So a fast was proclaimed, all of them from the greatest to the least. They put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king, so this isn't just the people, it took him three days to walk around the city. That's how big the city is. But when it finally reached the kingdom, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with a sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. In verse 10, when God saw that they did what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Now, again, this is, this is in unbelievable news. You're telling me he goes to this wicked city of no good, rotten, scoundrel people. Uh, these are the people that, again, they had, they had perfected the art of how to skin a human being but still keep them alive to torture them. And so these ter- terrible, wicked people. And they repent. Now, there's three reasons why they may have repented. Like, this is, this is real. Historically, what was going on was influencing maybe them repenting and hearing this message from Jonah. Because what was going on was, is in the last few years, they had had two major plagues wipe out a ton of the population. And whenever they had a plague, they just thought the gods were were punishing them. So they're afraid. Then in, in addition to that, like a solar eclipse had just taken place, which is like, these people were not just stitious. They were superstitious, right? So these people were like, that's a bad omen, right? Then there's these tribes north of them that start gathering and, and start collecting forces and start, and they're headed south towards Nineveh. And so they're like, oh my gosh, the solar eclipse, the plagues, the people, the, oh my Lord, Right? Repent! So they repent, which makes sense. But this is what goes on here. They repent. This acid-washed skin, seaweed hairdo guy is preaching this crazy sermon. And, and here's, here's what this, this is just kind of a side note. If you've ever really cared about somebody and wanted to maybe share uh, your faith with them or invite them to church or love and encourage them and you're like, nah, it'll be weird. No, I don't want to. No, they won't listen to me. If I invite them, they'll just say no. Here's what you don't know. This is proof that sometimes God's in the scene, in the background of the scene, preparing people's hearts. Because there's no reason Nineveh would have actually repented and turned to God, but all these different little things were lining up. And you just never know. As a matter of fact, we were doing this the other day. Me and Nate uh, and Delano, we were out to lunch. And there were not enough tables, so we just sat down with another person, right? And we just, like, so we just start talking to him. Hey, man, what are you doing? How are you doing? Whatever. Nate has this funny thing where he always tries to, like, break the ice in a really awkward way. So this is what Nate does. He goes, okay, so when we break in and take the safe, where are we going to rendezvous? And he's just seeing if the guy is overhearing our conversation as if we're about to, like, rob the place. It's funny. Anyway. It's like, maybe you had to be there. But anyway, so the guy just laughs and chuckles. And we start, we start conversating with him. And so sure enough, we're like, eventually like, hey, what do you guys do? Oh, we're pastors. And man, the conversation just opens up. He doesn't even live in the area. He's just kind of in from San Francisco or something like that. And, and, and it, this conversation goes, and, and sure enough, you know what he says? He says stuff like, that's crazy because I've been thinking about this. That's crazy because I just had this happen. That's crazy. Somebody just recently invited me to church and I was wondering. And it was like, 
How cool that God was preparing this guy for just maybe one more nudging of love and conversation and help and encouragement or whatever it is. And so it's just, it's just one of those little things. And, and you, you never know. You never know. You're nervous. You're like, do I really want to step out there and, and, and talk about God or my faith? And you just never know how God might be preparing their hearts behind the scenes. Can I get a what, what? Yeah. So, so again, what's crazy is these people repent. Unbelievable, right? This is where the story should end, but it doesn't, right? Like if the author was telling a story just to talk about Jonah and a fish and bad people turning to God, it should just end right there. Because if this were me, imagine me, Todd, I just walked through Livermore, took me three days to walk around, 120,000 people, and the whole city repented. The mayor came out and called a fast and we all went out in sackcloth, burlap sacks and just sat around praying and repenting. Man, I'd be on the Joe Rogan show doing interviews. I'd be on with Ellen in the morning. I'd be like doing interviews and like people would want to do movies, like whatever that Christian group that does movies about they'd come do a movie on us. We'd be celebrating. That's what we would do. But this is where you determine that's not the point of the story. Because there's a fourth chapter. And this is the point of the story. If you really want to know why Jonah wrote this down, you can see it right here in chapter four. It all comes together because what Jonah does is not celebrate. Jonah doesn't go and do interviews. Jonah doesn't do a movie. This is what Jonah does. Verse one. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. This is the opposite of what we would think, right? He became angry. He prayed to God and said, isn't this what I said? Lord, when I was at home, that is why I tried to forestall. Everybody say forestall. It's just a word you don't use very often. I just wanted you to throw that out there. So this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew. Now, I'm telling you right. This Check this out. This is what the Old Testament guys do sometimes. The Old Testament guys, remember, they don't know Christ yet. So when we think about God, hopefully we see God through the image of Christ because Christ is the greatest and highest revelation of who God is. If you know what God looks like, you look at Christ. They didn't have Christ to look at. So you can tell that sometimes the Old Testament guys, when they're talking, they'll talk from like their understanding and their cultural influences. And then all of a sudden they'll drop in some brilliant revelation, but then they'll kind of regress and go back to like their cultural understanding. And then God will give them like a brilliant insight. This is a brilliant insight. Are you ready? So this is, this is why Jonah's angry. This is going to sound amazing. I'm angry because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger. Not me. I'm fast to anger. Abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. This is what Jonah's saying. I'm angry because you're nice. I'm angry because I hate those people and you, I want you to hate them too. I'm angry because I hate those people and I was happy at the thought of you destroying them because I think they ought to be destroyed. I don't like them people and now I'm mad that you're nice to them. I'm mad. I'm mad that you're so kind. And you, you see the, you see the tension in his heart? What in the world is this guy thinking? I'm angry because you're kind. It makes no sense whatsoever until you discover, like, no, these were his arch enemies. Hey, here's the questions you have to wrestle with. Is there anybody that you hate? And a lot of you are Christians, so you're like, well, I don't hate people. That's a strong word. Who is it that you, who is it that you secretly, but don't talk about much, but you secretly dislike? You kind of, is there anybody that you're kind of a little bit happy when, when life doesn't go their way? 
Yeah, now it's starting to come out. You ever seen somebody just fail, lose their job, get what, get what they had coming to them, and you're secretly like, yeah, I'll pray for you. Got a little joker grin on or whatever. So is, is there anybody that, we, again, when they fail, you're just a little happy inside? Maybe it's just your, maybe it's just that group you don't like. Maybe it's that group that you think, hey, we, we're the insiders, we're the people, God, because this is what, if, if you've ever been annoyed at Christians, let me help you. This is what is annoying about us. If you ever thought, hey, the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites, you're right. This is where we, we fail. Because what we want, we're like Jonah. When we need a second chance, we're very happy to take God's grace. But when it comes to our enemies, sometimes we're not so happy at dishing out grace. Because we like the grace and the goodness and the kindness and forgiveness of God for ourselves, but we don't always and are always quick to dish it out to everybody else around us. Because we got some certain people we don't like. Sometimes we think, well, I hope they get what's coming to them. Well, I'm glad God judged them. Well, I'm... Jonah's challenging that. This is why he writes the story, by the way. You'll see it by the end. He writes the story to get you to wrestle with what's actually in your heart. Do you find it in your heart that you like the grace and love and forgiveness of God, but you're not always willing to give it to your neighbor who didn't bring your tools back? Maybe, maybe it was, it was your coworker who took credit for your idea. Maybe it was, cause this is, this is what we do. Sometimes we get so worked up and we get so angry about certain things. And there's certain groups. Again, it's sometimes it's like them Democrats. Them Republicans. Nobody cares about the libertarians because they don't want government and they just want to get high apparently. So nobody cares about them. Nobody's angry at libertarians, I don't think. But bless God, if you're Republican, you're angry at them Democrats. Them are the enemy. And God loves them too. And bless God, if you're a Democrat, you think the Republicans are the enemies. But... God loves them too. The Muslims, those gay people, any, any group you want to throw out, white people, black people, immigrants, what, you, you pick your group. You're angry. You're upset. Does God really love them? And the whole point of the story of Jonah is this. God doesn't just love Israel. God loves the whole world. God's not just at work in Israel, although the Bible is told from their perspective, they're the ones that wrote this down. But God's not just at work in them. God's at work in everybody. God's at work in people that don't even acknowledge him. These are pagans. They don't know Yahweh, the God of Israel. They don't know that. They're worshiping all kinds of idols. They do all kinds of weird stuff. God is at work in them too. God hasn't quit on them yet either. God's trying to extend grace to the whole world. And sometimes, sometimes that makes us angry. Let me keep reading because it got quiet in here. So... Now, watch this. He's so angry. Now he's moved to depression. Verse three. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Okay, you're, now you're just being a drama queen. Stop it. You know why I really thought, I thought about this. Why does he want to die? You know why he wants to die? He wants to die because he knows I'm going to have to go home. And when I go home, my buddy's going to be like, hey, where you been? You were out on vacation. Where'd you go? Nineveh. Where, what did you, where'd you go? Nineveh. Nineveh. Did you say Nineveh? Nineveh. Why'd you go to Nineveh? God told me to go preach to them. What? What happened? They repented. What? You know, like all of his buddies are going to be like, though, because they all hated the Ninevites. They were the arch enemy of Israel. I think he wanted to die because he's like, I don't want to go home and face this. All my buddies will ask me, where have I been? So verse number five says that Jonah, in light of his anger and depression, he has gone out and sat down at a place east of the city 
And there he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. You know what he's saying? This is what he's saying. Just in case God changes his mind, I'm going to sit here and watch. Maybe God will change his mind and stop being so doggone nice and maybe he'll get them people. That's crazy, isn't it? This lets you know, like, again, this is, I, I listened to a pastor, and this, this really convicted my heart. It, had, it made me wrestle with certain things. I was listening to a pastor tell his story, and he said that he had walked with God and been a, been a pastor for years and decades and decades. He's a really older pastor. And he said, the day that I heard the voice of God clearest in my own life, he said, it was back during the first desert storm, war with Iraq. He said, we gathered in my garage and turned the TV on and me and a couple of buddies hung out when we watched the live feed on CNN as America stormed in and we all high-fived and celebrated because we thought, and he said, I'd never heard the voice of God more clear in my life. And it was as if God had spoken to me. This is what he said. He goes, that's the most sinful day of your life. The day that I celebrated the violence and the death of somebody else in the name of whatever. That's what Jonah's doing. Jonah just flipped on CNN. Let's watch and see. Maybe, just maybe, God will get them too. Can I just tell you that, that, that God is not... It says that God takes no desire in the destruction of the wicked. None. No desire. Actually, it says that God wills that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So you got to remember, like, it's, it, Jonah is written to help you challenge and wrestle with the tension in your heart that says, sometimes I want God's love and blessing and forgiveness, but I don't know that I always want to give God's love and blessing and forgiveness. And that makes me uncomfortable. Sometimes it makes me even angry. So, so it, then the Lord provided, watch this. So remember, he's sitting on the edge of the city waiting to see maybe God will blow it up. Who knows? Then the Lord provided a leafy plant. Now, this is where the story starts to bring to a close. God's going to use one last illustration to teach Jonah a lesson. Are you ready? Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very, what? He's happy. A minute ago, he was angry, even a bit depressed. But now he's happy. Why? Because of this plant but at dawn on the next day god provided a worm which chewed up that plant so that it withered so remember god's in the providing he provided the storm he provided the fish now he's providing the plant now he's providing the worm god is messing with jonah that's really what's going on here but it says when the sun rose not only did god provide the worm that ate the plant but god provided a scorching east wind wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint he wanted to die so he went from angry to depressed to happy back to depressed this is guys on a roller coaster of emotion so he said he wanted to die and it would be better for me to die than to live but God said to Jonah is it right for you to be angry about the plant it is he said I'm so angry I wish I were dead this guy is so drama now watch this last two last two lines and it's over ready but the lord said you have been everybody say concerned the writer uses this word twice in the next two lines here concerned everybody say concerned he said so let me get this straight you're concerned about a plant which has been around for all of less than 24 hours you're concerned you're angry about a plant, which by the way, you didn't sow that seed. You didn't even water it. 
You didn't make that plant grow. You did nothing. You enjoyed its shade for a moment. And now that it's gone, you're angry. You're concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it nor make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And I, now God's going to flip it. And should I not have, say that word, concern. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who, by the way, they cannot tell their right hand from their left. They're childish is what the, the really scripture says. They're childish in their understanding of me. And also, well, also there's the animals, which is funny. The real translation says the cows and the, and don't forget the cows. That's Peter's favorite verse in the whole Bible right there. Don't forget about the cows. I almost wonder like, God, why did you make point to mention the cows? I almost wonder if it was like a dig at Jonah because he's like, listen here, nature lover. You love the plants. Why don't you love the cows? I don't really know what that's about. I have no theological deep understanding. That's my only guess. Um, so what you see is, is everybody say concern. And we'll, we'll start to move in a direction here real quick here. Um, what God is saying is this, is that Jonah, sometimes you get concerned about the wrong thing. And I'm concerned about the most important thing. And when you lose sight of what the real important thing is and you get your concerns mixed up, you'll miss the point of life. You'll miss the point of what God's up to. You'll miss the point of family. You'll miss the point of friends. You'll miss the point of people as a whole. You are concerned about the wrong thing. And this is the way that, that, that we have to, let's have an honest moment now. If you're a Christ follower, dial in with me here. Many times we are concerned with people in like a general way. Well, like, yeah, I love God, so I have to love people. It's kind of built in. Like I'm a pastor. I feel this obligation all the time. I'm forced to love you. It's my job, right? So in a general way, I love people. In a general way, I love the cows. I love to eat the cows. In a, in a general way, I care about people. In a general way, I love everyone. In a general way. And so what happens is, is that we end up diluting the grace of God. Because then we start thinking about how well, I love people generally speaking. I'm out of love people. And God is, I think, wanting to say, hey, look, there's 120,000 specific people that are all made in the image and likeness of God. There are 120,000 people who I am concerned about. For you, it would be the same way. It would be like, hey, what, what is your concern? Maybe that's the great, great question. What are you really concerned about? Because here's what I know about me. Let me just be honest with myself. There are some times when I miss the point. Like when the dry cleaner jacks up my clothes, I'm upset. I've been getting this thing lately with my dry cleaning, right? Where when I get it and I take it out of the plasticky thing, there's a little bit of a wrinkle right here, right in the middle. So not only do I have to get the shirt from the dry cleaning and pay for it to be dry cleaning, I got to go put my own, I got to go out of my way to put my own iron just to touch up this one little part. And I am tempted to give that man the business, and I don't mean my business. I mean like give him the what for. Give him the. And what I'm, con what I'm concerned about is my shirt. Which by the way to iron that little part takes all of two minutes. And I'll wear it once and then throw it right back into a, a bag. Right? So I'm concerned. And what happens is sometimes you get so concerned about your dry cleaning. That you miss the point that there's a person behind that counter. Who is a person for whom Christ died. I might have my concerns a little. Have you ever been. Chick-fil-A normally is pretty good. in and outs pretty good. But man, there's a few places. I'm not naming names. They will jack your order up. 
and there's a person behind the counter and you're tempted to be all upset because they put onions and just the thought of onions even like colluding with and touching and just the, the flavorings that onions might put onto my burger. I mean, just, just the thought of it is terrible, but there's a concern that I have. And then sometimes I forget there's a person on this side of that counter and I'm tempted to treat them a little bit less than, and I'm tempted to be a little angry and I'm tempted to be a little upset and miss the point that I'm concerned about my burger when I ought to be concerned about the human being. A person made in the image and likeness of God, a person for whom Christ died. That's what my real concern ought to be. And you got coworkers again, you got neighbors, you got all kinds of people around you. And sometimes you're more concerned about your fantasy football team than you are what's happening around you. You're more concerned with what's going on. Sometimes you're just more concerned with the stress of life. Um, more confession. I feel like I'm, just, I'm having therapy with you today. Let me just confess again. The other day I said something. I said, hey, I'm not nearly as competitive as I used to be. And my wife is laughing on the front row and she laughed that day as well. And it's not funny, except to her, apparently. So I'm apparently a little competitive. And I was like, babe, I'm not as competitive as I used to be. So she literally pulls out her phone. This is what wives do. Pulls out her phone. She goes, oh, really? I'm gonna, and she dials up my like two or three closest friends that I spend time with. And she goes, hey, do y'all think Todd is competitive? And literally, LOL, ha, 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 little gifts are coming through. Hey, remember the other day, just last Sunday, he said his small group was better than all the other small groups. And then he was like, hey, remember in the gym when he did the, remember, and like, so apparently I have an issue with being a little competitive. And sometimes being competitive, and I do think I've gotten better. I think you, you had to admit that. I'm, I'm not as bad as I used to be because it used to be kind of bad. I'll tell you how bad it was. When I was a youth pastor, um, I used to play a lot of basketball. And I love, any basketball players out there? Yeah. Okay, good. There's two of you. Perfect. You guys dial in. You'll care about this story. So I used to play a ton at the Y. Remember the YMCA? YMCA. I think they just call it the Y now. They dropped the MCA. But... Uh, I used to play every Friday afternoon and Saturday afternoon at the Y, and it was so much fun. It was just pickup games. And I, and again, I'm, a, I'm apparently a little competitive. And so, uh, and, and I played in the same pickup game. Well, this one day, a, uh, a punk kid shows up. So I'm probably in my early 20s. This kid's probably like 16, maybe 17, right? And he shows up. And guys, if you play basketball, you know, you know what I'm about to say right down here. Like, it's one thing to like talk trash. If you're good, if you're Michael Jordan, talk trash. I don't care. Dunk on my face. It don't even matter. But if you're not good, you're garbage and you trash talk. That's annoying. Right? Am I tripping? So this kid shows up and he's just talking trash and he ends up on my team. Doesn't play defense. Doesn't rebound. Jacking up shots from all over the place, laying bricks like a mason. Just everywhere. He's terrible, but he's still jaw-jacking and just going on and on and on. And I had grace for about two games. <laughs> Bless God, by that third game, he said something. I stopped the whole game. I can't repeat everything that I said to him. I mean, I didn't cuss him out or nothing, but it was not appropriate language. It was not kind or good or any. And I'm like, I literally was like, that's it. You shut up, shut up, stop talking. I'm like, you don't rebound. You don't play defense. You can't shoot. You're garbage. Just shut up. Just, and I just go off on the kid. And I felt so much better (laughs) after having gotten that out of my system. And, uh, apparently I'm a little competitive because we were losing and we were losing. And I thought we were losing because I hip. 
And so anyway, the day wraps up and I don't say nothing to him. I'm just trying to, trying to, you know, live in peace, right? And so I'm trying to move on with my life. But I'm a youth pastor. You see where this is going, maybe. Sure enough, that Wednesday night. This is the funnier part. I wasn't even the youth pastor. I was like the associate youth pastor. And um, no lie, I didn't preach, but like every once in a blue moon. And I was supposed to preach that night. And sure enough, this kid comes walking into our youth group. Just greeting people, happy to be there. And then I see him and his eyes lock eyes with mine. And you know what I did? I was like, hey, buddy, it's so good to see you. Man, give me, I'm so glad you're here. We were just hoping the other day. You remember that? We were just, we were just having fun, right? I mean, that was so much fun. Whew, I'm so glad you're at youth group. And I felt like a total idiot. You know what occurred to me? Jonah was concerned about a plant and missed the point of 120, 20,000 people. I was concerned about a basketball game. And I lost sight that there was a young man who was made in the image and likeness of God, a person so valuable that Christ died for them, that I could help connect that young man to his eternal destiny. I could encourage, love, bless, help, connect to Christ. And I missed it. Here, here's a question for you. What is the concern that you have that creeps up and elevates itself over God's concern? Let me say that again. What is the concern that you have that creeps up and elevates itself over God's concern? Sometimes it's your reputation. You ever felt that before? You're like, well, my reputation, I mean, people know, and I, you know, I got, I, like you're at work and you don't want to like, sometimes it's your schedule. Sometimes you're so busy. There is literally no margin in your schedule to have a moment with another human being. Sometimes, um, sometimes it's like, believe it or not, if you're a Christ follower, if you've been a Christian and been in church for any number of years, sometimes it's the amount of Christian friends that you have. Like you have no space anymore for anybody who's away from God. And I get that because once you've been walking with God a long time, maybe that your, your circle of friends keeps shrinking down and maybe it's the only people that you know are the people that you know from church. And we want you to have great relationships, but I want you to make a moment, a time. I want you to think about people who are away from God. You know, you know what my concern? My concern was basketball. My concern was competitiveness. My concern was something other than God's concern. I think you have to ask yourself, what is the concern that you have? And here's the thing that I think you need to understand. The measure of spiritual maturity is when your concerns harmonize with God's concerns. Like that's real spiritual maturity. It's not how much knowledge you have, by the way. As a matter of fact, the Bible says knowledge puffs up. It's not about the knowledge that you have. That is, a lot of people think that the smarter you are, the more Bible verses you know, the more mature you are. That absolutely can be false. Jesus said as much. He said to the Pharisees, he goes, you study the scriptures day and night. You still miss the point. I'm standing right in front of you and you can't see it. And yet all you've done your whole life is study and memorizing. That's not maturity. Maturity is when your concerns harmonize with God's concerns. And so I would just say this. Is it possible that God's concerned about your neighbors? Is it that God might be concerned about your coworkers? Some of your old buddies from high school, some of your friends, some of your, maybe it's again, your, your hairdresser. I don't know who it is, but God's concerned. And sometimes we're so distracted with our own lives that we miss the point. Sometimes it's not even that we're distracted and we don't have that concern. Sometimes there's a group of people that we don't like. We secretly hope they get what's coming to them. We are a little bit happy on the inside when they fail. Is there anybody like that in your life? Is it, do you have a Ninevites? Do you have a group of people that you, you have a certain level of disdain or disgust for? 
Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to recognize Jonah's real struggle. Jonah's real struggle was this. I am really, really happy receiving the grace of God. I am not so good at giving the grace of God. Five things I want you to do. We're going to pray. Number one is this. Number one, I want you to grow in grace. This is what the Bible actually teaches. Peter says this. He goes, grow in the grace and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Everybody say, grow in the grace. Like whatever grace it is that you have now, I want you to consider this. I want you to have more next year. Whatever grace you had last year, if you don't have more this year, you're not growing in the grace. Think about that. I want you to challenge yourself like, Am I kinder now than I used to be? Am I more generous now than I used to be? Am I, am I more quick to encourage, to love, to give, to bless, to help, to support, to edify? Am I more, do I got more grace? I want you to grow in grace. Here's a, here's a second one. Number two is this. I want you to be strengthened by grace because here's the deal. The things that I'm going to ask you to do, you can't give what you don't got. Like, I need you to be strengthened by grace. Some of y'all running on empty. The reason why you can't give grace is because you're running on empty yourself. You don't experience the grace of God. Paul said as much. He said this. He goes, life is hard. I'm being taxed. I'm bringing these prayers to you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, you got this. Step into the grace because my grace is sufficient. And actually, my power is made perfect in your weakness. So I don't even need your strength. I need you to take my strength. Take it, take grace and let grace strengthen you. Number, number three is this. Not only be strengthened by grace, be humbled by grace. The reason why we don't edify other people is because we actually have too much insecurity or pride in our own heart. That's why we don't elevate other people. We, we should be overwhelmed by grace, humbled by grace. And again, humble doesn't mean to make yourself less than. It just means to take everybody else and lift them up. That's all I'm asking you to do. But you, but you have to be overwhelmed by God's goodness. You have to be overwhelmed by the fact that the creator of all the universe stepped into his own story so that he might redeem you. And the way that he redeemed you was he died on a wooden cross. Like that's overwhelming. Number four is this. Once you're humbled by grace. Then you can start to put grace on your lips. As a matter of fact. That's what Paul says a couple different times. He says let grace be on your lips. Some of us were harsh with our tongue. You got to remember our words. Are many times the greatest expression of who we are. What's going on in the inside. Isn't it? Our words. And Paul says. If you're strengthened by grace. And humbled by grace. Then you know what I want you to do. Put it on your mouth. Let grace be dripping off your lips. And then lastly, here's this. I want you to grow in the grace of giving. He actually teaches this. He goes the same way that you would grow in faith and in speech and in conduct and holiness and all these things like this. He goes, I want, to think, I want you to think about your generosity. Hey, and I'm not talking about giving at church. I'm talking about your whole life. I'm not trying to lie. There's no second offering here. I don't care about that. I'm talking about your whole life being generous, your whole life seeing an opportunity to give, to bless, to do something, to help elevate somebody else's life, to help add dignity to somebody else's life in any way, in every opportunity that you possibly can, if you can, give because there's a grace to it. And so let grace even be on your generosity and your giving. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to recognize that that there's there's constantly a tension within us and it probably won't go away because we're all human. There's a tension within us. To want to accept the grace of God, but maybe to not always give it away. And I want to, you to wrestle with what Jonah wrestled with. Sometimes I'm happy to be forgiven by God. I'm happy to get second chances. Sometimes I'm not so happy to give it to everyone else around me. And that must change. Let's pray this morning. So God, would you please speak to us this morning? Is there anybody in my life? God, would you bring them to my brain? Bring them to my memory? God, is there anybody in my life? God, that I just haven't been extending grace to. Is there anybody that I kind of secretly wish they'd get theirs? Is there anybody out there that I'm secretly happy when they fail? Is there anybody in there, God, can I please extend grace to them? Is there somebody that I need to forgive even? God, you forgave me. 
I've offended you my whole life and yet you forgive me. Is, is there somebody that offended me and I need to give forgiveness to them? God, maybe it's not, maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's a problem with concern. God, is there, is there somebody in my life right now that I'm just a bit distracted? I don't have a big concern. I don't really care too much for it. And I need to, I need to have a high level of concern and care and compassion. Is there a friend, a person, a, an opportunity where I need to have a greater level of concern? God, you care about those people. God, help me to grow in grace. Let grace be on my lips. Let grace be in my generosity. Let grace be in my thoughts. Let me be humbled and strengthened by grace. God, would you help us as a church? Be a gracious church. Lord, that is our prayer today. In Jesus' name, come on, give me a good gospel. Amen and amen. Yeah, yeah. Give Lord a big hand. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.